0: Hi, welcome to Leave Your Dream Podcast. My name is Selena Lee and I'm a courier and executive coach. I'm sharing inspirational stories from people who overcame rejections and failures to achieve their dreams. I hope these stories will inspire you. Have the courage to pursue your own dreams and live a life doing what you love. You'll also hear about how I've transformed my own career from an investment banker and a corporate lawyer to becoming a coach, which I believe is my calling. You'll also learn the strategies I use to coach many professionals out of unfulfilling jobs and into careers they love. Welcome to another episode of Live Your Dream Podcast. Before I start the show today, I want to read you a new review I got recently. Ajin wrote, The power of voice to reach one's heart. The power of voice to reach one's heart cannot be beaten when it's coming from the heart. Listening to her podcast, you cannot but feel how much she enjoys what she does and know that she truly believes that she's making the world a better place by her efforts, and I cannot agree more. You'll feel the joy from the voice of someone who's living their dreams, not only from the many successful guests she has on her show, but most of all from Selena herself. Whether you're struggling to find your path or are already living your dreams, Selena's podcast will surely have a profound positive impact on your life and leave a smile on your face. Thank you for making this world a better place. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. You totally made my day, and you have no idea how happy you made me feel. I actually was feeling really exhausted and saw your review, and as soon as I read it, I immediately got off my bed and started working on this week's episode. This is the power of amazing reviews. If you enjoy listening to my podcast, or if it helped you in any way, I would be so grateful if you can please tell your friends about it and also share on social media. Another way you can help me is by writing me a review. I love reading your reviews and it means so much to me and totally makes my day. And also it keeps me motivated to keep creating new episodes, even on days when it's really hard to do so. So I would be so grateful if you can please write me a review on Apple Podcasts or on Podchaser if you listen from an Android phone. I'll include both links on the show notes for today's episode. You're listening to the 49th episode of my podcast, and I hope you'll help me celebrate my upcoming 50th episode. For my 50th episode, I'm thinking of doing a Ask Me Anything episode where you're invited to ask me any questions about me, my podcast, coaching, or anything you wanna ask, and I'll answer your questions during the episode. I would also love for you to share with me what you have learned or what your biggest takeaways were from my episodes Or what you loved about my podcast, and that would totally make my day. So please send me your questions, lessons learned, or anything you want to share with me about my podcast, and help me celebrate my 50th episode. You can send me a message on my website, SelinaLeeCo/Contact. That is C-E-L-I-N-A-L-E-E dot Co/Contact, or just open up your podcast app and click on today's show notes, and there will be a link for you to send me a message. And thank you to those who joined me in my clubhouse room last Saturday. It was so fun sharing our rejection stories and talking about how we can not only overcome rejections, but celebrate them as the evidence that we're taking action towards our goals and dreams. I'm actually going to have another clubhouse room at the same time this Saturday, March 13th at 9 p.m. Eastern time. For those of you who are wondering, what is Clubhouse? It's this new audio app and I recently joined and I would love to talk to you there. My ID is Selena Lee, that is C-E-L-I-N-A-L-E-E. And if you follow me, you'll be the first to know when I host rooms. And if you want an invitation to the Clubhouse, I have a few invites and I'd be happy to invite you. This saturday i'll be talking about how to stop procrastinating i talked about this in episode 46 titled how to beat procrastination if you haven't checked it out i'll link the episode in today's show notes in the episode i shared my embarrassing stories of procrastination yes i procrastinate a lot and the strategies that have helped me to deal with it after this episode was released i got so many messages from people asking me were you talking about me? Did you make the episode for me? So I know we all struggle with procrastination, so I thought it would be fun to talk about our favorite ways to procrastinate and how we can stop procrastinating or procrastinate less. So I hope you'll join me this Saturday, March 13th at 9 p.m. Eastern time. I'll include all the details in the show notes for today's episode, and you can check it out by opening up your podcast app and clicking on today's show notes. Or you can go to selina for slash episode 49. That is C E L I N A L E E.co for slash episode 49. The month of March is Women's History Month, and I am so excited to share with you today my conversation with Catherine Switzer. Catherine was the first woman to officially register and run the Boston Marathon in 1967. She was attacked in the race by an angry official who tried to rip off her bib number 261 and threw her out of the race because she was a woman. She finished the race anyway and went on to win the 1974 New York City Marathon and dedicated her whole life to championing women in sports all over the world. She led the effort to make the Women's Marathon an official Olympic event in 1984 and ran the Boston Marathon again at age 70 on the 50th anniversary of her iconic run. And she finished only 24 minutes slower than she did when she was twenty years old. She launched her nonprofit 261 Fearless, named after her famous bib number, which empowers women all over the world through running. I've been wanting to interview Catherine for a really long time and finally got my chance. So I'm so excited to share our conversation with you today and I hope you'll enjoy it. Thank you so much, Catherine. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. I have so many questions I want to ask you and I want to first ask you about your childhood. Um, Where were you born and where did you grow up?
1: Oh, that's an interesting question, Selena. Nobody ever <laughs> asks me that question. Um, and it was a very interesting beginning. And thank you, Selena, for having me on your show. I'm delighted to be here. Um, I was actually born in Germany um, uh, in 1947. So it was right after World War II. And it was a terrible situation. And um, But my mother really wanted to be with my father. And so she took one of the first boats over uh, of of wives who could go. And, um, and I was, she was very pregnant with me on the boat and I was born as soon as she arrived. So it was a an interesting time for her and also a devastating time in a way, because there was so, so much horrible, um, you know, post-war bombing and, and starving people. And and she, she tried to hire everybody she could to take care of me and take care of the house and keep them warm and keep them fed, all the German people. She was really very, very popular and, and well-loved. It was really amazing. So uh, we were there for about three years. Um, German was actually my first language, and I can't speak a word of it now. And, um, and then we came back to America, and I've lived most of my life there until right now, and in fact, I'm coming to you from New Zealand I know. Um, because <laughs> I'm married to a New Zealand guy. We spend a few months a year every every year in New Zealand. Mostly we're based in New York. But um, because of COVID, we um, had the opportunity to say, are we going to go back to New York? Are we going to stay here? And we decided to stay here. Yeah. And of course, everybody in the whole world knows that New Zealand is probably the safest and sanest country in the world right now. We are Very COVID true. free. Amazing. And, um, Yeah, and it's been wonderful, wonderful to be here. Um, So what were
0: your parents like when you were growing up?
1: I had the best parents in the whole world. I always say, you know, I should have been the president of the United States with the kind of motivation I got from my parents. But it paid off in other ways, the motivation. They were highly energetic and um, really can-do kind of people. My dad was the one who encouraged me to run. And um, he saw a skinny little, you know, immature kid who was going into high school. And he knew that if I could kind of have a team or something to hang my hat on, it would make all the difference. And he suggested I run a mile a day. So I'd get in shape to make the field hockey team in my high school. Wow. And I could say, well, the rest is history. But basically, he was very motivational. And my mother was motivating by her example. She always worked. She always maintained a great house. She raised two kids. Um, she was like the original super mom. Wow. And I swear to God, Selena, I'm spending the whole whole of my life trying to keep up with her. She's long <laughs> dead. But to try to keep up with that kind of ability to, to cook, be nice, make a great Christmas, you know, raise kids and have a job, a full-time responsible job. Wow. I and mean, she was named as one of the top 100 educators in America. That's year amazing. Year year. She wow. was unbelievable. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I heard your dad um, encourage you to start running at 12 years old when you actually wanted to become a cheerleader.
1: Yeah. You know, he was, he and my mother was right about this too. My dad says, you should, you don't want to be a cheerleader. Cheerleaders cheer for other people. You want people to cheer for you. He said, life is to participate, not spectate. Amazing. And, and my mother was always telling me, yeah, okay. So, but the most important thing in your life is that you're going to have to be able to absolutely take control of your own life and support yourself. You know, you don't don't you don't just run off and get married and have somebody take care of you. You know, it's always you've got to be able to maintain your own self and have your own sense of destiny. So it was really the the it was the one two punch, you know, for my parents. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Did you have a childhood dream when you were growing up?
1: Every kid goes to what they want to be when they want to grow up. I I started off wanting to be a a horticulturist. <laughs> wow. I, love, I love plants and I can mm-hmm. grow anything. But then um, I really began loving writing and I started loving journalism, especially working on my high school newspaper. Um, and two interesting things happened at that point. W- one, of course, you know, is reading voraciously. And I was falling in love with writers like J.D. Salinger and E.E. E. Cummings and T.S. Eliot and W.B. Yeats. And so I started signing my name, K.V. Switzer because that was what I was writing sports because I love sports so much. Um, Also, I started signing my name with my initials because my dad misspelled my name on my birth certificate. He was highly motivational, but a terrible speller. Uh, (laughs) He he left the E out of the Catherine. So I began signing my name, K.V. Switzer. And in fact, that later changed history. Mm -hmm. But it was the love of writing for my high school newspaper and then keeping journals, reading good literature that led me to want to become um, a a serious journalist. Um, And that's why I went to Syracuse University because it's a really, really good journalism school, mm-hmm. and I, I've I've always, always um, been appreciative of that education.
0: Yeah, and you've really built your career. Um, dedicating your time to doing both of your loves, right? So sports and journalism. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, yeah, it's really interesting because I thought, what am I going to do with my life? You know, Um, um, I love sports. I played lacrosse and I played field hockey, basketball, and I ran, but it was the running that empowered me. That was the amazing thing. It was the run was the magic. And we could talk about all that in a minute. But, um, But I also realized when I graduated from high school I, I wasn't going to have sports. you know there, there were no sports at Syracuse University for women. It was just men. Wow. And so I said, okay, uh, but if I write about it, if I write about sports, you' doing what you you're close to what you love mm-hmm. And that's what I try to tell young people today to find what you love doing and then make it work around um, the other thing. you know right. so I could write about running uh, I mean write about sports and I could then go and run on my own. Um, of course, that, that changed as well. But but even to this day, it's the, the writing um, that 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 in the running that really inspire me. Um, I've written three books. I've written hundreds and hundreds of articles. I've done hundreds of television broadcasts of marathons and, and other running events. Um, so so it's a journalism
0: that really has always fascinated me. I love what you said about how there's if you know, there's a great love or passion in your life, but for circumstances either beyond your control or you just don't think that that could be something you can do uh, as a paid job, you figure out another way to uh, integrate that into your life and still make time for it and still do the things that brings you joy.
1: Absolutely. So, for instance, you know, when when I was first married to my ex husband, (laughs) um, I was working two jobs to get us, you know, to pay the rent, get him through graduate school, pay for the car, all these things. I was just, we were just, I was just overwhelmed. But um, so I had to take a job that I really didn't like. I couldn't make enough money as a journalist, so I took a job in public relations. But that taught me that I could also do really good writing and create events. Wow. And I could combine what I love to do with running by creating events and then writing about them. Amazing. And and, and so it became a career. I went back to school at night and got my master's degree in, in public relations so that I would learn how to do it even better. And again, you sometimes have to suck it up in, in terms of getting by, but that also opens other doors. That's right. So I always tell people in every negative thing and right now we're really learning it with covid and every negative thing if you take the negative thing and you turn it upside down the answer can be an incredible solution that is very very conducive to a whole new career yeah and look at look at you <laughs> you you've been doing all your interviews in person yeah now you're doing them and you're probably wearing your pajama bodies right <laughs> yes that's <adds> a secret <laughs> you That
0: right now, (laughs) yeah, I know, I know.
1: So, so what I'm saying is is that we, you know, potentially what you're doing now, um, maybe it used to to reach a couple
0: of hundred people, you know, right now you're maybe going to reach thousands of people, exactly. So, yeah, yeah, it makes a big difference. I love what you said about how, you know, sometimes you take a job or do something that's not entirely what you want to do, but yet the skills and experience you gain from that experience will lead to you doing something amazing. And somehow, you know, it can be an opportunity. It can be the best thing because you've, turn your experience in that job into creating change which we'll talk about in a few minutes right so it all makes sense but you can sure. only connect the dots backwards right cuz you don't know how it's going to make all sense later on right amazing yeah, yeah. <laughs> um,
1: i've never i've never heard that expression but it's right yeah. connect the dots backwards yeah, yeah. connect the right. dots backwards <laughs> yeah i always i and i always say look look for the look for another solution look for look for the light that's in that negative thing that yeah. you like that that gives you the spark and
0: and it'll it'll come. I think oftentimes people say, "Well, that's not what I want to do or I only have this opportunity, that's not what I really want to spend time doing." But if you just gain the experience and make the most out of it you never know how it's going to all make sense and relate to creating the life that you love eventually right so have faith and exactly. do that best in that situation right well we have to Absolutely. talk about the Boston Marathon that changed your life so you're the first woman yeah, to we um, officially register and run the Boston Marathon in 1967 uh, can you tell me about this day that changed your life well, we could talk two hours about that. <laughs> yes. So I'm going to give
1: you the really short version. Yeah. And you saw me reach behind me and pull uh, uh, off the wall mm-hmm. my old bib number in the race. Amazing. Right? Yeah. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so while I was at Syracuse University, um, I was. Uh, There were no sports for women, so I asked if I could run on the men's uh, cross country team. And uh, the coach said no, it was against uh, uh, rules, but um, I could come and work out with the team. So it was there that I met a volunteer coach who was much older. I was 19, he was 50. And he was just a volunteer, but he was an ex-marathon runner. And he ran with me every day because I was so slow. He felt really sorry for me. And, but he would tell me every day about this wonderful event called the Boston Marathon that he had run 15 times. Wow. And so I fell in love with this idea. And two things happened. I really didn't get much faster, but I could go forever forever. And finally, we were really running out there, running like 15 miles. And when we would go out and run 15 miles and um, they, or, 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 you know, however long that is, 25 Ks, I guess, um, guys, um, the guys on the team wouldn't run with us anymore because I could keep up with them. Wow. You see? You see? They, <laughs> um, but we discovered then that women had some amazing potential and endurance and stamina. And um, we argued when I said I wanted to run a marathon. And he said a woman can't do it. Finally, he said, if you show me in practice, I'll be the first person to take you to Boston. So the challenge was on. I told him in history that there had been a number of women who had run a marathon. And even at Boston, the year before, a woman had jumped out of the bushes and run the race. He didn't believe it. Fake news. That's what he said. (laughs) Fake news. Uh, Anyway, we, we went out. We ran not only 26 miles one day. We ran 31 because I wanted to prove to him that I could go further than the marathon distance. He Fainted at the end of the workout, oh and God. and I felt great. And he said, "You know, I am really, really impressed." And he insisted on my signing up for the race. Well, you heard from the previous story, I signed the entry form. KV Switzer. That's right. They thought it was from a man, but there were no rules that said it was a men's only race. I wasn't trying to hide anything. I was proud of being a woman, um, and I, you know, I just wanted to run, and so. Nothing about gender on the entry form, filled in the entry form, paid my entry fee. We went to Boston and I got bib 261, which didn't mean anything to me. It's just three digits, right? So uh, I tell you that because that there's another story with that too. And, and then in the race where all the men were wonderful to me, really wonderful and welcoming, the official, the race director was not, and he was on the press bus, jumped off the press bus, ran down the street after me and attacked me in the race grabbed me like this and tried to pull off my bib numbers and, and throw me out of the race and cursing at me. Get the hell out of my race. Give me those numbers. And my coach couldn't get him away from me. He was just out of control. But my boyfriend was running with me and he threw a crossbody block into the official and sent him flying. <laughs> like that. And down the road we went, well this happened in front of the press truck. Wow. And the pictures of the incident were flashed around the world. Um, I made the decision then is I was so humiliated and so embarrassed. I was only 20 and, um, and the press truck people were very, very aggressive and uh, telling me, oh, you're not serious. You're going to drop out. You know, you, you, know, you can't do it. You, you know, you don't belong here. And I just got really dug in and said, I'm going to finish this race with my hands and my knees if I have to. And that is, again, one of the most important, that was probably the first really, really important decision of my life, because it was my defining moment. Yeah. It was a crisis point. And, and here's, the, here's the point of this, is, is it made all the difference, mm. finishing the race. Yeah. Because if I didn't, nobody would believe women could do it.
0: That's amazing. And,
1: and I knew I could do it. Yeah. I knew I could do it. So I'm not going to drop out of the race. So mm-hmm. I decided I was going to suffer the humiliation and the heckling. But all the guys, you know, were great. That was neat. They'd say, I wish my wife would run, wish my girlfriend would run. Yeah. You know, it was really sweet. And it changed my life completely because when I finished the race, I knew I wanted to create opportunities for women. And I knew I wanted um, to become a better athlete. So the, the I, I tell this story because all of us have a really difficult moment in our lives, a really, really tough crunch moment. And always, it's hard, but always try to make the right decision. Always try to finish the job because... That's, that's what destiny really is. Yeah. Destiny is finishing the job, mm-hmm. and that's what creates destiny. No, destiny doesn't happen when you sit on your hands or when you quit.
0: Yeah. So that's what makes a difference. That's amazing. Where does that courage come from, that resilience, that determination to finish? Where do you think that comes from?
1: Good question, especially for a girl who is 20 yeah. uh, in her first race, yeah. getting heckled yeah. by people. Where it came from was a little girl who was twelve years old had started running a mile a day, wow. and she and she had a victory under her belt nobody could take away from her. Mm-hmm. And so by the time I was twenty, it was a, you know nobody's going to stop me. Yeah, and I I love to tell people this. So give your kids every encouragement you possibly can. Yeah, and when you give your kids encouragement to be brave and make courageous decisions, you sometimes become more courageous yourself.
0: That's it's right. really interesting. Wow, you know, yeah, and it really is true. Mm. It is
1: true. Um, you know, when um, you're walking down a dark street alone at night, okay, it's much tougher than if you have a couple of friends with you. Wow. If you're walking with your friends down the street, you don't think anything about it. Or if there are two of you and you're both a little afraid, you keep bolstering each other. Say, "Come on, it's okay. We can do this. We can do this," mm. and you do. Yeah. So you, you you can share the fear but by sharing the bravery. Yeah. You know?
0: I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So when you finish the race I heard there's quite an uproar after, you know, after he became. Yeah, there was huge, it
1: was a huge uproar. Yeah. First of all, I was, you know, they, they, they disqualified from me from the race. They banned me from the Athletic Federation. I was very feisty by that time. So I said, okay, you know, to hell with you. I'm going to create my own club. So I created my own club. And pretty soon, you know, we had a handful of people. And then pretty soon, by the end of the summer, we had 200 people every Tuesday night. And we were all running together. And um, then I went back and I helped rewrite the rules. And got together with other women. We campaigned for women's equality, and we were got equal, equal in the Boston Marathon. And then I began the drive to try to get the women's marathon in the Olympic Games. And that was like the hardest thing I ever did. Wow! Um, because because all around the world, people were still thinking women were weak and fragile, and that their uterus was going to fall out if they ran. <laughs> and so to so to convince to convince male athletic federations to to let women run the arduous marathon distance. They were very, very resistant. But I had gone to and gotten sponsorship, big sponsorship from Avon Cosmetics. um, And I made the races feminine and fun and welcomed everybody. And we were not getting just a handful of people. We were getting thousands.
0: Wow. That's thousands. Mm.
1: Yeah. And in one race, for instance, we closed downtown London streets for the first time in history, for a sports event. Mm -hmm. And that race um, convinced the Olympic Committee to welcome women into the Olympic Games because we had 27 countries and five continents. And that race went on to become what is now the London Marathon.
0: Wow. So,
1: yeah, there's a wonderful history here. Women have have paved the way in many, many ways. And in 1984, the Women's Marathon was in the Olympic Games. And and that, to me, was almost as important as giving women the right to vote.
0: Yeah, of because
1: course. it was it was a social, the social and cultural mm-hmm. uh, and intellectual acceptance took place in America in 1920. Yeah, and um, and now this was like the physical equivalent. Yeah, because because clearly, if a woman could run. 42 kilometers or 26 miles she could do anything
0: yeah for <laughs> yeah. sure and you've really shown the race director that he was wrong
1: <laughs> i did yeah. and you know what's what's cool is is it took five years but but um i forgave him right away yeah you know i said you know you, you can't be angry with people who are a product of their time if that's all they know culturally um and, and you just have to lead by example And so I just kept being nice to him and and more and more women would run. And then finally, when we became official in Boston, he had to recognize us. And it was like his eyes opened for the first time and we became best of friends. Wow. Amazing. (laughs) I think that
0: I think that show that teaches a lot, a lot about forgiveness.
1: Oh, yeah. Listen, life is too short not to forgive. You can't carry around that negativity. You know, you have to let it go, and 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 I let it go. It took him a long time, mm-hmm. but we became really good friends, and I went to see him just, just a few hours before he died, and we had good, long talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I felt like it was one of the best things I ever did for both of us. Yeah. And um, because you know what? Also, you have to think about people who have done bad things to you. Yeah. And one way to forgive them is to realize that, that what they have done to harm you— also has made you maybe a stronger or better person. So, for instance, how could I not love the official who tried to throw me out of the race? Because he gave the world one of the greatest photographs in women's rights history. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) You know, the picture of of him attacking me in the race is a part of the civil rights movement now. Mm -hmm. Time Life has it in their book as one of the 100 photographs to change the world. I mean, that doesn't mean I'm great. What it is is that photograph helps spawn a social revolution. Women's running is a social revolution because women are, it's not even about running, Mm -hmm. Selena. It's about, it's about their empowerment and their ability then to control their lives because
0: it transforms them. Five years after your historic run, uh, women were officially allowed to run uh, in the Boston Marathon and you were right in front. What did that mean for you?
1: Oh, that was that was wonderful. It was a really breakthrough thing. But you know, we we had been running for years. Yeah. We had been running for that five years. And so people people knew about us. Mm -hmm. But what what it meant then is I said, you know what, at last we can run as athletes, not just because we're women, not on behalf of the whole female sex. So now we can sweat, we can throw up, we can be competitive, we can be athletes. And, and go for it. Yeah. And that, that, that also changed things because people then began watching us as athletes, not just, isn't it great women are running? It was, hey, who won? <laughs> yeah.
0: And you did win the New York City Marathon in 1974.
1: <laughs> I did, yeah. that was a million years ago, but a victory is a victory. Um, and I had my best performance in my seventh Boston Marathon. Yeah, yeah. finally, you know, two hours and fifty one minutes a pretty good time. Mm-hmm. Even now, it's still a pretty good time. But um, the more important thing is is that when I did those times and won those events, I realized how many other not just thousands, millions of women could could perform really well if they only had an opportunity. yeah, so so they, you know, you don't know how good you are unless you you have the opportunity to try. Right. And the problem is is too many people wait for somebody else to give them the opportunity. You need to go and take the opportunity. Right. Or create it for yourself. Yeah. You need to sometimes create your own inspiration. Yeah. So um so we that's what we women did. We went and created our own opportunities and then it then then I became passionate about creating opportunities for other women. Because it is true. The fact is there's so many women in the world, most most women in the world live in a fearful situation where they have really so many restrictions of poverty culture religion that they 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 don't have those opportunities but if one is created and it's made acceptable then they will respond that's right so that's how they start that old bib number there see see the corner is torn yes that's that's where the official got it on my back. Mm-hmm. He didn't get the number off of me. He tried, but he only ripped the corner. Um, and I didn't pay any attention to this bib number mm-hmm. until only about five or six years ago. Suddenly people began writing to me and telling me that that number made them feel fearless. Wow! And so what we did, I got together with some friends of mine and we created two six one fearless and made it a nonprofit, which goes around the world doing exactly what I said I wanted to do, which was empower women through running, by just putting one foot in front of the other, not being competitive, not going to do a marathon, but from the community of women getting together, um, working together, and a a fearless woman like me leading a fearful woman over here to take her first step.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Community clubs and an educational program. As you know, empowerment helps you overcome so many things, but education takes you to the next step of really, really achieving in your life, and if we can provide women with these basic education programs, which Two Six One Fearless is doing, um, it's changing them.
0: Yeah, amazing. In
1: fact, yeah, one of the one of the things um, I wanted to talk about with you today yeah. was, and you, you know, looking at my shirt which says Two Six One Fearless keys. Forward, is remember earlier in the conversation I was talking about the transformative experience of running. Yeah, I mean. Now, chemically, why it, why it happens, um, there's all kinds of endorphins and, and things that are floating around your system making you feel good. But the basic thing is just like that little 12-year-old Catherine felt, is is it makes you feel accomplished um, and full of self-esteem. And it's very simple. You just put one foot in front of the other, and if you can put take three steps one day, you can take five the next, and pretty soon you're running 5Ks, Okay. And then you say, yeah, I did that. You know, if I could do that, I can do anything. Or I can I could maybe I can go back to school. You know, maybe I can finish my degree. Maybe I can ask the boss for a better job or a raise. Maybe I can be a better mom. All of those things, you know, you say, I can do that. So um that we we have taken these ideas and all of the things we've been talking about today. And created a, um, in 261 Fearless, part of our educational program, is something called the 261 Fearless Forward Webinars. But we call them womanars. I love it. Where, <laughs> where um, our, we have we have four really uh, amazing women. We have many amazing women. But four of us um, on the executive are, are, are pretty good at what we do. And so we have taken a, a webinar each and took a, taken a topic. The first one we all did together and it was about fear. What is fear? How to make fear work for you when fear is good and our personal stories. The second one is me. And I am talking about the tr- active transformation and how this transformative experience can affect everything in your life, which is what we've been talking about today. And honestly, I just I know it sounds really simple but it's absolutely true, is that if you go out and put one foot in front of the other every day, give yourself time to breathe and get space and, and reflect, it transforms you. It absolutely does. You know, in the United States, for instance, it would amaze you that there are more participating women runners.
0: I've heard that. Men. I've heard that. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, thanks to your effort and leadership, you have really changed well, the history of running in the U S yeah. Yeah. But women
1: themselves have changed it. Mm-hmm. 58% of all participating runners are now women and it's going global. You know why? Cause it's easy. It's cheap. It's convenient. And it's totally accessible. I mean, I, I know so many women are getting up at five in the morning, kids are still asleep. They're going to getting it out. They're, they're knocking out a half an hour or 40 minutes, whatever, coming back, getting the kids up, getting them ready for school. Everybody's taking a shower. Everybody's eating breakfast. Then they go out, get the kids off and they go off to work. And that they have told me again and again and again is the most important part of their day because it sets them up for the day. And they say, when I walk into that office or I walk or whatever I got to do, I know I've done something great for the day.
0: Wow. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't
1: that amazing? Yeah. Start with your day. No matter how crappy the day is, I've got my run in and
0: I feel good about that. I see. And then when <laughs> yeah. you take a positive step to change your life, you know, however small or big that may be, it inspires you, inspires you to take the next step, right?
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's what I'm going to be talking about. People want to join us. Um, please go to 261fearless.org, O-R-G, mm-hmm. 261fearless.org
0: and click on the Woman R series yes. and join us. Yeah, I'll be sure to have all of these links on my show notes so people can easily click on them. Um, Great. Uh, one of also an amazingly aspirational day for all the women were also, um, 50 years after you ran your first Boston marathon in 1967, in 2017, you ran it again. <laughs>
1: yeah. I know it was, yeah. it was, I got to tell you, it was the happiest day of my yeah. life. It really was. You know, you can imagine how it felt 50 years later. First of all, to, I'm very, very grateful for my health yeah. to be able to do that. On the other hand, I work at it, but I, I, I'm not obsessive. Honest to God, I'm not obsessive. I, I run every other day, easy running, um, and I found myself in pretty good shape and thought, okay, I'll train up, and then I got ready for the marathon again at 70. So it was my 70th year, and, um, and, it, and it was the 50th anniversary. And to have the sensation of having been the only woman in the race wearing a bib 50 years before to having 13,500 women wearing a bib around me and having 125 of them running for 261 Fearless, our nonprofit, which really launched us globally. It was an awesome experience. Not to say the least, my husband was waiting at the finish line with a great big kiss, which was (laughs) everybody's fantasy to have your, your, the person you love most meeting you at the finish of a marathon. It was
0: great. You've also ran, um, I think New York city marathon, uh, also in your seventies too. I know. You know what, well, you know, yeah. Selina, when, when you do something like that, I say, Hey,
1: yeah. Hey, I'm on a roll. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I did. I, uh, six months later ran the New York city marathon, um, 43 years after I had won it, which was really great. Um, I had done the broadcast of the race for 28 years, so um, on the back of a motorcycle, and I had never run through the streets of New York. I, my, when I won it, it was all, only in Central Park. So uh, now I got to go through the streets. It was amazing. Everybody knew me, it was just so terrific. Yeah. And then um, another six months later, I decided I'd run the London Marathon. Um, It was a race that was near and dear to my heart. I'd been there a lot as a journalist, but I had never run it. And, of course, you know, I felt like I had been a partly creator of that race. Of course, yeah. And it was also the 100th anniversary of women getting the right to vote in the UK. So that was really, really important, too. Such a
0: profound uh, experience. Yeah. Well, you've dedicated your whole life to women's empowerment. Where do you think it starts? Um, What can each of us do to empower young girls and support women? Okay. First of all, it can start at
1: any moment. All of us can become empowered. And I think the longer longer you wait to be an empowered woman, the harder it is because you second-guess yourself for so many years of your life. So that's why I say... The, the most important thing we can do as grown ups is to empower children, especially our own. But I mean, any kid on the street, give them an atta boy or atta girl. Don't put them down. You know, they just, they get their little noses broken so fast. Yeah. And 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 if they could be, if they could just be encouraged, have a sense of self-esteem. But you yourself, when you are lacking inspiration, you know, create your own inspiration. And, and start doing something that gives you a sense of your own self-worth whether, I mean, I I actually believe that movement is critical to this process because you have a sense of your own power. Also, I believe in going outside as much as possible because sunlight and nature really, really are part of who we are. Movement is part of who we are as animals. And that really encourages you and breaks the stress, just gives you another vision. But also, you know, reading, writing, keeping a journal, um and taking things that you keep thinking you really should do yeah. and picking them up one point at a time. Yes. Say, okay, today I'm going to do that and I'm going to finish that. Just do it.
0: Mm, I love it. Well, we yeah. all know um no one succeeds alone and no one achieves dreams alone. Um so who helped you to get to where you're now? Oh man, of course
1: I, you know, I told you about my parents, yes. amazingly so. Um, I, I, I would say the next really, really most important person was a little volunteer coach at the university who had faith in me and, and kept, um, encouraging me. And, you know, I look back on that. The guy was just the, he was just the university mailman. He he wasn't a professor. He'd never gone to college. He was a mailman. And yet he had run the Boston Marathon 15 times and he was willing to put Hisself on the line to take this twenty year old girl and a couple of other kids to the Boston Marathon. I mean, that's huge. Yeah. And and so I often say that from ordinary people can come really great kindness. Yeah. Um, Gloria Steinem always used to talk about. She learned a lot, a lot about. Life from just talking to taxi drivers all the time. Wow, amazing! And yeah, yeah. 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 So, so simple hearts mm-hmm. can also give you a great vision. Yeah. So, Arnie Briggs for sh- absolutely for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Other people in a negative way, you know, my ex husband, for instance, you know, uh, was a negative reinforcer. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't do that. You know, you're really not, you're not really an athlete. You're too slow. You know, wow. you don't count that kind of stuff. And I would get up in the morning and and run because it made me feel so good and and uh he would joke about it and then i started getting really a lot better and um and then i had to apologize for me being in the paper in the newspaper and getting interviews all the time mm. and he said oh they're only interviewing you cuz you're a girl and so finally you know when i wow <laughs> when i ran you know when i ran really really well we had split up by that time <laughs> but he actually, he he actually called me and congratulated me okay. he said you know he said i he said, I, I guess I always underestimated you. Wow. And I said, I, "I said to him, I said, that's all right. And I said, yeah, like, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> because mm-hmm. the more you do, the more you can do. Yeah. But right now, like my husband for 33 years, wow. Roger Robinson, very well-known mm-hmm. runner and author. Um, he simply inspires um, by love and by, by example. Mm-hmm. I mean you know, he, he gets a hurt knee or he gets, he have COVID lockdown. He writes another book Wow! <laughs> or if he, get, if he gets injured um, and he, and he can't, uh, can't run. He, he walks two hours. Yesterday he, he climbed 750 steps. He's 81 years old, I got to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, wow. So yeah. So he's, he's been a huge
0: inspiration. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, Catherine, when, you know, people who are very close to us, right? Especially our loved ones, partners and family and parents say we can't do something. A lot of us internalize and believe that to be true. And it's, it is really hard for us to believe otherwise, Absolutely. right? How can we, you know, still believe in ourselves when people around us are not supportive of our dreams?
1: Okay, you, you, you have to, you know, I love the quote I heard once from Tegla LaRupe. She was a tiny little Kenyan runner from uh, um a second class tribe you know nobody nobody takes her tribe seriously um, it's sort of like living on the wrong side of the tracks and she when she was born her father called her useless when she grew up because she was so sm- she was so small he said he said she's useless she's so small wow. and so she became one of the greatest runners in the world world record holder drove back to her little tribe with a mercedes-benz She'd won when she won the New York City Marathon. Wow. And she said, when all around you you have no inspiration, you create your own inspiration. I you love be it. you you become your own inspiration. Mm-hmm. I love that yeah. quote. And then mm-hmm. then build your base. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't just let them believe what they're going to believe. Sometimes they can't help it. But build your own ba you build your own community. For instance, now at 261 Fearless, they are my greatest inspiration too. Because we have a, a sisterhood that, that really helps each other and, and lifts each other up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That, is, that is tremendously, tremendously important. Yeah. So you can build
0: your own. Yeah. Well, the name of the podcast is called Live Your Dreams. So my final question to you is, what advice do you have for people who have dreams but maybe feel afraid, they have a lot of fears, and don't have the courage to pursue them? You have to take the first step. Mm-hmm.
1: And it doesn't have to be a big thing. If you have a dream to write a book... Start writing a paragraph Right,
0: right. every day. <laughs>
1: you know, um, I often get people, athletes, like this is a fantasist. They come up and they say to me, she said, I'm going to start running because I want to win an Olympic gold medal. And I say, great, start putting one foot in front of the other you know, or put your shoes on. Take small, take small. You know, I told you, you know, like I created a global program of uh, 400 races in 27 countries. I started with a little club in Syracuse, New York. Oh, that's right. A little running club, you see. And then that's where I learned how to begin. And I started a marathon by, you know, running around my yard seven laps when I was a little girl Mm -hmm. to run a mile a day. You have to start take the first step. That's that's the most important thing. And build your community. Hey, so you know what? You know, you're going to be talking to a colleague of mine, um, Lisa Ruggles. She... It's a wonderful story about this because she grew up um, as a child and then an adolescent and then a young mom and an early marriage, all with negative, negative, negative reinforcement. Wow. You can't, you know, you don't count. No, no, no. And she overcame all of that. So that is going to be a wonderful lesson for your audience.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and I look forward to you talking to her because she's going to be also doing a 261 Fearless Forward webinar. That's right. So that will be great.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you, Catherine, so much for being an inspiration to uh, so many of us. Thank you for all the work that you do. Thank you for dedicating your life to empowering women and men. (laughs) And And men too, yes. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Um, I'm so thankful that you shared your story with our audience. And I can't wait to see how it will empower other women, other young girls to really live their dreams. So thank you.
1: And thank you for what you're doing, for reaching out to them with a program that gives them wonderful, hands-on, practical advice. (laughs) Thank you, Celine.
0: Thank you, Catherine. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Catherine, and if you are interested in checking out the webinar series that we talked about, I'll have the link in today's show notes. I'm sure you're feeling really inspired after hearing Catherine's amazing story, and I think some of you might be thinking, but I'm not a runner. I can't run. I don't have the athletic ability. So I thought it would be fun to share with you a conversation with Lisa Ruggles, who's a director of 261 Fearless Club UK, the organization founded by Catherine. Lisa never considered herself as a runner at all. In fact, the first time she ran, she thought she was gonna die, but she kept going and eventually ran five marathons. She used running as a vehicle to overcome a lot of challenges in her life, and she shared with me how running taught her to overcome her fears. I hope you'll enjoy my conversation with Lisa. Hi Lisa, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. And I thought we would um, start talking about your childhood. Can you tell me where you grew up?
2: I grew up in a little village called Chinna, which is um, near Oxford or just outside of Oxford. It's about 10, 15 miles from Oxford. Um, and I grew up in this tiny little sheltered cul-de-sac. And, and it was a lovely place to grow up. Um, just really pretty and, and sheltered safe, I suppose.
0: I actually went uh, to study abroad at Oxford during my college years and I have very fond memories there. (laughs) Um, I heard you had some challenges and difficulties growing up uh, during your childhood years. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, nothing
2: that would be seen from the outside, I suppose. Um, But from about the age of five or six, I just felt so much fear. My life was pretty much dominated by that fear feeling. And I suppose at the age of six, I didn't really know what that feeling was, but I just felt restless and sick and um, not really knowing whether I could sit down or stand up. I just remember not just not being able to control my mind and nobody could tell me what it was. And nobody really gave me the time to, um, to really talk or even understand what I was feeling. It was very much of, oh, just get over it. Just get on with it. I haven't got time for this. Um, and, and that was kind of the feeling that that took me through pretty much all of my life up until fairly recently, to be honest. So fear was a really dominant feeling in my life. Wow. So where do you think that came from? Looking back and peace as a child, you don't really understand, of you course. can't really tell. Um, but looking back now, um around that time, my mother's mother, my nan, who I was really, really close to, she had quite severe breast cancer and passed away when I was seven. And I think it was probably maybe feeding off my mum's emotions, or um, I had some really pretty horrible teachers at school who just kind of of picked on me in a way. Um, And and that's looking at it as a child. Um, whether that happened or not I don't know but that's how I felt I felt as though the teacher just didn't understand me and was always having a go at me and at that quite young age it's it's quite hard to deal with because you don't know you don't have those emotions you don't have that capability to deal with someone who is seemingly being horrible with you um, so I suppose you internalize it and you've got no way of letting it out so that manifested in me is fear and panic attacks
0: Mm-hmm. And then I heard it led to eating disorder and then um, eventually became a young mother.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose my anorexia started at about the age of 13. I was bullied quite a lot because I come for eight and, and that was what my way of coping with it. I remember uh, where we grew up at the end of our cul-de-sac was a garage and I used to go up, there with my pocket money, and hide it from everybody else. But I used to buy these big multi-packs of like gummy bears um and I used to hide them under my duvet and eat just eat those every time I felt bad I'd eat those um and I didn't really do exercise um so I just got bigger and bigger and bigger and and I was so badly bullied at school because of it um and even family members um surprisingly um I had some horrible names, even my nan on the other side um called me and then just one day something just switched and I thought well I can only be accepted if I lose weight I'm only ever going to succeed in life I'm only ever going to be accepted if I lose weight and I didn't know how to do it so I just stopped eating I just completely stopped and um yeah again it was a, a really 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 tough time internally I did again I didn't understand what was going on but externally to everyone else it was just like oh yeah she's she's losing her puppy fat at last and um but really I, I was starving myself, um, and doing lots of, of exercise and, um, and just, I just craved attention. I just craved that love because I wasn't getting it. I just, or I didn't feel like I was getting it. Um, and yeah, I, um, I got that attention when I'd lost all my weight from the older boys, because of course I, I was then in their eyes attractive and, And that ended up in me being pregnant when, I actually felt pregnant when I was 15 and had my little girl when I was 16 and a half,
0: right in the middle of my GCSEs. (laughs) Is that that like a testing exam or school for UK?
2: Yes. Yeah. GCSEs are like the first set of exams that you do. Um, So they are your your base exams to go on to do your A-levels to get into university. So they're they're quite, they're, they're prominent. They're everybody has to do them and they're on your cv for the rest of your life
0: thank you so much for sharing uh us with your story you you went through so much but yet somehow you discovered running how did you become interested in, in running
2: well that was much later in my life and it wasn't that i became interested in running um i i started running because um In my husband's business, he has a hot tub business. And um, we were asked by a friend of a friend to deliver a hot tub to this little boy who um, needed hydrotherapy. He had a brain tumour and it was terminal. And so we delivered this hot tub to him and he died two days later. And it broke me. It absolutely broke me because I thought his mum's so much like me. Um, the, The little boy's brother was the same age as my little one. And I thought, right, what can I do that I really hate that will, um, will help me raise money for this charity? Because he set up a charity before he died. Um, and so I thought, yeah, let's do running. Before then, I thought running was, I laughed at people who ran. I thought, why would you run if you've got a perfectly good car that can get you from A to B, <laughs> why, why would you do that?
0: Why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> <laughs> just why? Just why? <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and so I thought, okay, let's give this a go. And So um, I heard about this app called C25K. So I downloaded this app um, and it said, I, I think it was 90 seconds running. It might've even been less than that. It might've been 30 seconds running, something like that to begin with, with a gap. And you, you build it up over time. And I remember going out and thinking, oh, I don't know whether I can do this, but it's only 30 seconds. And I went out and I felt sick. I just hated every step. I think I was crying by the end of it, thinking, how am I going to do this? Um, But I suppose it was that I had that why of this little boy. And that kind of kept me going, even though I hated it. And every run for a long, long time was just, I don't want to do this. And it was really hard to get me out of that front door. And yeah, I just, I hated it, but I could start to see that my fitness was building up. Um, And I remember taking ages to get out the door on my first 20-minute non-stop run. And I thought, I can't do this. I can't do this. But every step you take is a step closer to that 20-minute mark. Um, And now I've gone on, I've ran, well, five marathons, four of those in person, one of them virtual thanks to covid (laughs) wow yeah um and and it is and, and running has taught me just so much um it has just made me realize that what is in my mind if my mind will allow me then my body will do whatever i want and that is really transferred into every single area of my life like there is no way a few, even a few, maybe even a year ago, I'd be sat here talking to you, Selena, because I'd have
0: been like, "No, can't do
2: that. No, no, no,
0: no." <laughs> I heard, I heard um, uh, you have a fear of public speaking. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, you know, it's even more meaningful that that you're doing this. So it, in a way, your life is all about overcoming your fear, right? Um, that difficult yeah. experience in your childhood, which really could have prevented you from living the life that you have now, that you're living now, but yet you overcame that. And then you are a runner. You're also um, a part of an organization, 261 Fearless. um, And now you inspire a lot of other women. You've run many marathons. So what um, advice do you have for people uh, who may be feeling a lot of fear, feeling afraid and know they they have goals and dreams in their life but they can't take action because of they feel afraid
2: yeah it is it's really really tough and and it is a mental battle Uh, um what I would say is just take one step at a time it's I picture it as Mount Everest and Mount Everest is a huge huge mountain and and not everybody who tries to get up there gets up there but I I think it's the little steps at a time you take a little step up the mountain um, and during the Mount Everest thing you you climb up a little bit and then you come back down and you acclimatize and and you think yes I did that bit and I'm back on a safe ground now Um, and you get your breathing back and then you go up a bit further and then you come back down and and it's like a gradual process where you're constantly seeing that actually you know what I've done that. And I know I can do that, so I can go back out and do that bit and do you know what? Maybe I can do a bit more so it is about that gradual process of doing little steps at a time and realizing that you can do it. you can do it, and you can break through that fear and actually now, I think what I'm actually fearful of and and that is what I'll try and do because fear doesn't actually stop me anymore i I've learned that when I feel fear it won't stop me or change the path that I want to lead Um, I've learned that I can overcome it and that I've just got to step out and make that first step and that is the hardest one that first step into I I suppose your fear bubble because you you build it up into your head so much and then when you make that first step you think oh actually do you know what this isn't as bad as I thought Um, and I've also realized that having a community around you is really helpful. Um, And and that's something I've, again, I've really struggled with, with my friendship groups in my teenage years, they they weren't brilliant. And because I had my daughter when I was so young, I never really had the opportunity to build solid friendship groups. So I've always shied away from them and shied away from community. and always thought they were this competitive place that that would always be there. Everyone would always be competitive. Everyone would always be trying to pull me down. Um, But really, they're not. And there are some people out there who are willing to cheer you on and stand there and say, do you know what? You can do this and I'm going to help you and I'm going to hold your hand. Um, So that's been a really
0: big learning curve for me. Yeah. So I think it is so hard sometimes because um, when we have certain things that we want to achieve in our life, sometimes um, people around us, people who are close to us, can be the biggest <laughs> critics, right? And, and they, oh, yes. they say that we can't do something, and then we start to internalize um, their opinions as our own and start to believe that we can't, right? So mm-hmm. um, I guess in that situation, what you said is really powerful, that find the community um, uh, people who yes. will cheer you on. It may not be your uh, loved ones or your family members, no, but you be. can find that community elsewhere, right? Yeah, and, and definitely, and it's trusting yourself
2: and it's learning to trust yourself and, and learning to know yourself as well and learning to understand what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, and really trying to to, to push those weaknesses. If you don't like your weaknesses, then then just push them and try and work them out and make your strengths stronger and your weaknesses weaker. Um, and, and that that way, you, you, you feel more accomplished and you feel more powerful and, and able to do the things that you want to do and achieve your goals. Mm-hmm.
0: Your body will go where your mind will allow you to go. Mm, I love that. I love that. Mm. So I'm curious because so many of us um, don't consider ourselves as runners, right? Like, uh, someone no, will hear, hear Catherine's story and be like, oh my gosh, she's amazing, but I don't have that athletic ability, right? So for people who has never run a marathon or actually never ran anything and is out of breath after 30 seconds on a treadmill, <laughs> what advice would you have for people to encourage them to start running?
2: I, I would say try and find that app, that, that c 25 5K app, and just follow it because it I don't know, but I mean, plans work for me. I like to follow plans. I like um, to know that if I do this, then I'm going to be able to do this. So C25K for me was brilliant. Or find a friend who is willing to do that walk, run with you. Um, and it is. It's baby steps. It's running for 30 seconds and then walking for a minute, running for another 30 seconds or running into a lamppost if you haven't got an app. And, and then walk into the next one and then run in a bit further. It's just baby steps. And also, I think a mistake a lot of people make is to go out fast and to think, oh, to be a runner, I've got to run at this speed or that speed. But to be a runner, you've just got to do it. It doesn't matter about speed. And if anything, I've learned the slower you run, the more fun you have because the, the, the people at the back of a race. Are there to have fun, and they're there to chat to you, and you get lots of waves from the crowd, and they normally wear fancy dress, and and it's just so much fun. Whereas if you're at the front, they're they're more serious. I'm not saying they're not fun; don't get me wrong, but they're more serious, and they've got a goal, and they're focused on their time. And at the back, it's just so much fun. I'm not a fast runner, and I never will be. That's just the way my body's built, and but I don't I don't think that stops me from being a
0: runner. It's it's all about feeling good, right? And also not about competition or being faster or better than other people, but about yeah. really doing uh it for you, right? And doing yeah, it definitely. to really have the courage to show up in a way where you are, you know, doing the best that you can, right? So yeah. in a way, it's like we're fueling ourselves uh with the energy of being the best version that we can be, right?
2: Yeah, definitely. And building that mental strength is, it's so important because we need mental strength and everything. Um, and just realizing that even though you, you might not feel like you want to go out for a run. And I think sometimes those are the best days when you just think, oh, I can't do this. I can't do this. And you do it and you come back and you think, do you know what? I overcame that. So what else can I overcome? And yeah, its it's just an amazing tool.
0: So what do you do when you, you're feeling like really not up for it you're feeling really exhausted like oh now you're, that's like the last thing I want to do how do you get yourself off couch or bed or whatever and then get out the door and start running it's it's
2: banking those times where you have done it or you've had a friend say come on just come on out with me anyway and you've come back and you feel amazing it's remembering that actually do you know what if I do do this I'm going to feel so much better and and I think I think that's the case in a lot of things in life. It's remembering how you felt when you'd achieved, when you would beat the odds, when um, you'd got to a place where you never thought you'd get and just remembering how that feels and how accomplished you feel. Um, So that is what gets me out when I really don't want to.
0: (laughs) I love that because oftentimes when I um, coach my clients, I I tell them they're feeling really um, not motivated, or sometimes we procrastinate or we're avoiding something that yeah. we know we should do. Um, I have them think about um, their accomplishments. Uh, a lot of times, I actually have them write it down, and then and then to go read it when you're feeling not motivated. So you actually generate that positive feeling of those moments when you really did what you thought was yeah. not possible, right? So that way you are able to motivate yourself from a place of like love, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, well, final question to you is I watched the woman are that you've done <laughs> and it was really inspiring and you talked a lot about becoming fearless. So, um, I love to, for you to share with us, you know, what it means to be a uh, fearless and also some advice that you have for people who are feeling a lot of fear, um, and and how we can still overcome it and 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 achieve our dreams. Yeah, uh,
2: I think fear is one of those things that when you understand what it is and what it's not, um, and and realize that it's your body's fight and flight mechanism, it's you're going into the unknown, um, and it's your body's response to that unknown. I think you can almost logicalize it if that's a word. I think it is. <laughs> um, and and i think being fearless means that you accept that fear because i still feel fear like coming on today i felt a lot of fear thinking oh no i'm going to mess up um you're doing fantastic <laughs> <laughs> thank you um but it mean, means that when you do feel that fear you won't stop it won't stop you it won't control you and it it won't allow you to to not achieve your dreams um But you're taking control of it and you're taking control of fear. And and I think that's a big thing because fear makes you feel completely out of control. Um, But learning what it is and actually thinking about why am I feeling this way? So become aware of it, become aware of how you're feeling um, and what your reaction is to it. But also imagining your future self, imagining Okay, if I overcome this, what will I be like? Um, sometimes I think of people who are where I want to be now, and I look at them and I think, right, okay, they've got there, so why can't I? Um, and then I'm also grateful for where I've come from. I'm really grateful that I'm sat here now talking to you. Um, and I'm one step closer to my dreams of of actually beating this completely, and, and I see it as, as beating fear. Well. Yeah, I suppose I do. I see it as overcoming, of conquering, of of understanding myself better and being the best version of myself.
0: Yeah, that's lovely. Thank you so much, Lisa, for sharing your inspiring uh, story with us. I loved how you um, experience difficulties during childhood, but yet you use running as a tool and a vehicle to um, create that change in your life. I hope after listening to your story, a lot of people will um, get out the door and and start running or start walking. Uh, Yeah, definitely. And so thank you so much, Lisa. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lisa and Catherine, and I hope you're feeling as inspired as I am. If you're interested in the webinar series that we talked about, I'll have the link in today's show notes. I hope you'll also join me in my clubhouse room this Saturday, March 13th at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and we'll talk about how to stop procrastinating. And feel free to invite a friend who may be interested in joining also. I'll share all the details in the show notes for today's episode, and please send me your questions, lessons learned, or anything you want to share with me about my podcast and help me celebrate my 50th episode. You can send me a message through my website, and I'll have the link on the show notes for today's episode, Which you can see by opening up your podcast app and clicking on today's show notes. Or you can go to selinalee.co forward slash episode 49. That is C E L I N A L E E.co forward slash episode 49. If you're looking for guidance on how to find happiness and fulfillment in your career, I put together a guide to the three steps to finding true career fulfillment. In this guide, I share the three common themes of the people who have achieved incredible amount of success, and if you find what those three things are for you, I can guarantee that you'll not only have a successful career, but also a very fulfilling life. So if you want to check it out, you can download it by clicking on today's show notes on your podcast app or on my website, selinalee.co, that is C-E-L-I-N-A-L-E-E.co. And if you enjoy listening to my podcast or if it helped you in any way, I would be so grateful if you can please tell your friends about it and also write me a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, where you can write a review even from your Android phones. This is the best way you can help me to grow my podcast so more people can find out about it. I actually check several times a day to see if there's a new review. I know it's kind of funny and silly, but this is how I know you're listening and what I'm creating is actually helpful for you. So if you want to make my day, please write me a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser and I would be so grateful. If you have any questions about my one-on-one coaching or have any thoughts or questions about my podcast, you can reach out to me on my website, forward slash That is slash contact Or just click on today's show notes on your podcast app and that will take you to my website. And please subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And I'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you have a great week.